Hey, folks, Zach Osprey, how you insider, Indianapolis Star. It is raining. It is March 22nd, 2022. Dustin, it's the offseason. Um, I know IU fans don't want to hear this, but I'm not complaining. Um, <laughs> our, our, our Last week was a trip, man. Our Last travels week. last week were, were really quite something. You uh, lucked into the much more, shall we say, uneventful uh, – trip home from portland i was delayed by about 24 hours either way we've made it home um indiana's indiana's season is over indiana finishes 21 and 14 uh i was a little bit surprised they finished 49th or at least right now they're 49th in ken palm they, they took a really precipitous drop they were 35th going into that saint mary's game wow um yeah i'm not sure exactly what I mean, those were some bad efficiency numbers. I don't know what they ended up being, but they had. Yeah, I mean, and not that it really matters. It's not like Mike Woodson's bonuses are tied to his final Ken Palm rating. Um, You know, I think just a a word from both of us on, you know, quote unquote, what this season means. And and then I want to kind of dig into the roster because I think the roster will spoke out a lot of, um, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of other sort of questions and, and, and topics, but um, it is hard for me not to see this as a successful first season for Mike Woodson. Uh, right. Is it a resounding success? You know, I, I, I don't know that that's, I don't know if I would, you know, be over enthusiastic about it, but I think it was a success. I think it laid yeah. out a lot of sort of baselines for his teams going forward. I think you could see a very quick, sort of buy-in to some of what he wants to underpin his roster, particularly on defense, regardless of kind of his personnel going forward. Mm-hmm. And he also, you know, if you'd offered an Indiana fan 21 wins, break the Purdue losing streak, you know, go to the conference tournament semifinal and win a game in the NCAA tournament, I think the, I think the, the vast majority of them would have taken it, given everything this program has been through in the last five, six years. And that's why it does feel like it at bare minimum it met the, the standards for success. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, I, I think you still view the first four as kind of half a win, uh, you know, because it's not the same as as getting through the round of 64. Um, but all the same, getting there, not getting knocked out in the first four. Um, and um, yeah, like I, I, to me, bare minimum was getting in the dance. That was bare minimum to be able to say, okay, this is – Further along than they've been in a little while, obviously, again, it's, you know, you, you view it as in, in two years, really, because uh, they would have gotten in in 2020 had there been a tournament in 2020. Like, I still feel like we need to point that out, that even though it had been six years and they actually played in one, they would have qualified if the tournament had existed um, in 2020, but still hadn't been there. Um, and these guys hadn't experienced it. I think it was just just to be able to meet that baseline, I think, you know, qualifies as, as successful. Again, as, as you mentioned, got some things established that are baselines for what uh, he's going to do. You know, was it, we're able to prove what defense could do for this team, what, what they could be capable of on defense, that they could be a top 20, top 25 uh, defense from a Ken Palm, uh, you know, situation. I think um, if, if they weren't number one, I think they were top two uh, in the Big Ten in both uh, scoring defense and field goal percentage defense. Um, so just establishing themselves as, as better than everybody, as, as pretty much everybody at something uh, makes a difference. I mean, I think the, 
you know, culture, I think, I mean, you obviously don't know everything that got done behind the scenes, but it just seems, seems that these guys are happy to be there and that makes a difference. You know, like that, I think was, was a positive development. Um, so end of the day, they, they accomplished things. They got something done and, 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 you know, not a resounding success because you obviously look at all the opportunities that were left on the board. Um, you know, I, I don't think it's out of the question that, that, that had this team taken care of business in certain different ways, but they could have been at least in the round of 32. You know, I, I don't think that's, you know, they, they could have set themselves up for a better seed, a better matchup, a better overall situation. I mean, like they're, I, I don't think they're that much worse than the eight or nines that were in that tournament. And they could have pulled a, you know, a nine win over an eight or an eight win over a nine or something like that. And they could have been in better shape, but ultimately, you know, they're, they, they did the base thing that had to happen. I think for people to be generally okay with what went down. Um, no, I mean, I agree. I think, I mean, and, and listen, it's, it's, it's unfair to compare it's, or at least I don't want to say it's unfair. It's dangerous to compare Mike Woodson's season one to Tom Crean's season one to Archie Miller's season one, because everybody's going to be coming from a different direction. The program's in a different place, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the one thing I would say is you would rather the lessons you take out of season one be the lessons this team takes that that's kind of the other part of this is like, you know, as you start to look forward and that's a lot of what we're going to do here today, you would rather the lessons you take out of this season be things like we need to be 2% better three shooting the three, you know, we need to learn that the work we do in December and January is just as valuable to our, our postseason fortunes as the work we do in March you know, rather than obviously Tom Crean's first season was, was, you know, incredibly difficult. Um, but rather than, you know, Archie Miller and talking about like, we need to learn that we need to lock in every night or Indiana state might come in here and hit 14 threes on us. And um, they're just, you know, there, there is, again, there's, there's a lot that Indiana has got to do to get to a point where they're competing for a big 10 title, which is, you know, Mike Woodson has made no bones. That's, that is in, in his mind, that is the, you know, that is his sort of baseline. Like, that's what he's talked about. He said, like, when I was in school, that was the expectation. And that needs to be the expectation now. And then I think that the sort of the unsaid part of that is if Indiana is competing for a Big Ten title, then that just kind of puts them in the conversation for a lot of the other stuff that they want to do. Um, but you're coming at it from a position of much greater strength after a season like that not just in terms of results, but also in terms of what you feel like maybe your program learned and some of the habits that it picked up along the way. Um, then, then really what any IU coach has done in a first season since, since Kelvin Sampson, you know, cause Kelvin Sampson went one and 11 in his first year. Um, went to the, you know, went to the NCAA tournament, won one game, beat Gonzaga, then lost to UCLA. Um, and that was, you know, similarly was kind of an imperfect team in, in some ways. They shot the three a lot better, but, you know, you had DJ White, you had Armand Bassett, you had Rod Wilmot, but you didn't, you know, the, the next season suddenly, you know, you go up several gears and it's because of Eric Gordon. Um, you know, maybe if there's one big question, it's, it's, and we'll come on to roster composition. It's basically sort of, 
you know, how does Woodson keep this thing moving forward if he if he does have to deal with some high profile departures this offseason? But in, you know, in terms of kind of what was accomplished this year, it just sort of feels like, you know, Mike Woodson got Indiana a lot further down the line than a lot of his a lot of his predecessors in, in their year year one seasons. Yeah, for sure. And again, like you said, it's dangerous to really compare because it's different. It's, you know, vastly different circumstances. Um, obviously, you start with, you know, Tom Crean. It's a it's just a totally different world. You know, that's just a, a totally separate situation. Uh, you, I mean, and, and unique to, you know, the history of Indiana basketball. So you can't really judge him at all. And he, I mean, you, you could say, all right, well, you know, he should have kept those guys or whatever. But obviously, he started from true ground zero, um, regardless of whether it was, you know, regardless of all that Archie Miller basically is taking over from after Kareen had sort of risen and fallen. And, and, and at that point left um, a roster that did not have nearly did not have nearly as much as, as Woodson has. And in the, in this case, it's a situation where Miller had some level of talent uh, and was never really able to get it going. And so Woodson was picking up on some of that filling in some pieces uh, by himself and, and, and ends up just with a, a much, much better roster. Um, but it was guys that weren't just guys that weren't that far away, but just sort of needed an extra push, needed something else to get them across the line. Um, and they finally got there. So, but, but still like, again, you, you certainly come away from it feeling better if you're Indiana than you have, uh, in the past. And, and I, and I guess the one thing I would say that's maybe lesser is there's not that, um, you know, Archie Miller obviously had a big recruiting win in that first year um, and had somebody coming in that was a huge big deal in the Romeo Langford. Um, you started to see it. I mean, Tom Crean was sort of building something for the distant future and putting together, you know, huge classes and, and, and tons of people to sort of, um, you know, reconfigure the roster entirely. You know, obviously, Mike Woodson's got some wins, you know, Jalen Huchifino is a, is, is a big, really important recruit, but there's not something like a Romeo or a Cody um, that's coming down the track at this point. It's, it's a little bit different in that way. Um, but still, you know, again, clearly accomplished the most in a, in a year one on the floor than any first year coach at Indiana, like you said, since Samson. Yeah, I mean, I, I won't profess to have seen a lot of Jalen Hood, Chifino. I, I think it is worth saying he's a 24-7 composite five-star. I mean, like, I, I've, I've only watched his film. I think he looks good. Um, I think he should have the tools to compete for a starting position, starting spot right away. You know, I think there's going to be some questions about how you fit him next to Xavier Johnson. Um, and, and I do agree that, like, you know, at least on paper, Romeo Langford was a, a bigger win, but I, I – I wouldn't, I guess all I'm saying is I wouldn't dismiss the fact that Indiana's basically got sort of a, a consensus, very high four, you know, mid five star player already kind of in the door. Um, but that kind of segues us into talking about this roster. Cause again, I think a lot of the topics around this roster really need to start with basically who we feel like we can count on being there. Um, it's the portal era. So, you know, it, it as forever, don't, as ever, don't take anything as just absolute gospel. Um, Anthony Leal's been pretty clear he's back. Trey Galloway, I think we can reliably say, is back. Tamar Bates, uh, you know, based on some of the noises his family's made on social media, he's back. You do have Jalen Huchifino coming in. You know, I, I mean, I, I personally, I wouldn't be shocked if Xavier Johnson at least tested the draft waters just to kind of get some professional feedback. I mean, like, a, you know, quietly, 
The man did have the fifth highest single season assist total in Indiana history this year. Um, I don't know that he'd leave, but I wouldn't blame him for at least just wanting to be in those conversations and, you know, having get some of that feedback. But if, if we can even sort of, you know, tend to tentatively say that he's back and then you add Jalen Huchifino and, and CJ Gunn to what extent Gunn can, I think, primarily make threes early on in terms of his impact in college. You certainly do feel like Indiana's got a backcourt it can rely on there. Um, whatever else happens. And then there are other, I mean, there are other pieces that could fit into that too. Rob Finnessy has left his fifth year on the table. Christian Lander obviously, you know, did not play a ton this year, but still has a five-star pedigree. Parker Stewart went through senior day or senior night. I, I guess it feels like we can probably pencil him more likely as gone than, than returning, but there's other guys there. I mean, like Finnessy's another one where like, he's been pretty clear about wanting to leave that fifth year on the table. Mike Woodson's affection for experienced players leads me to believe that he would consider, you know, inviting fantasy back for that fifth year. The point is I think Indiana's got good guard depth. I think it's going to have a lot of creativity in that backcourt next season. If things kind of continue along, um, the big piece is just going to be what it's been for six years. They've got to hit more threes and whether that's what the pieces they have and developing them further getting a guy like Anthony Leal ready for more minutes or developing Trey Galloway's shot or whatever it is, or going out and maybe finding one other piece that can help them. They've got to shoot the ball better than they have in the last six years. Oh yeah, they certainly do. I mean, obviously I think that the tough part for this group at this point is uh, I don't know that everybody in the backcourt that wants to stay can stay. Um, I, I think, you know, I, I don't know that, I don't know who wants to leave, but there's, I think there's a very real possibility that fewer people want to leave than ultimately have to leave that to get um, Jalen Huchifino, um, CJ Gunn and Caleb Banks all in the door. Um, I, I think that that's, that's one thing that's, and that's going to be tough. Uh, that's something that, you know, again, this is be, with the portal, with the portal being what it is, but, but also just the COVID year being what it is and, and how that sort of, you know, clogged up rosters. This is a problem that not just Indiana has. I mean, this is something that's going to be a nationwide issue uh, this year in terms of finding ways to make rosters work. Because I'm pretty sure now you go into a situation where where this year you were allowed to keep people uh, on their extra COVID year and, and be able to go over 13. I don't think you're going to be able to. I, I'm pretty sure that's the case. You're not able to do that. I don't think in 2022, 2023. No, no. Yeah. So there are going to be guys. I think there are going to be guys that have said, I want to stay that might have to be told, hey, uh, we don't see a place for you. So that's going to that, that there, I think there's a possibility that that, that that's what ultimately goes down, um, because, I mean, there there is almost too much backcourt depth. And, and again, they have to be able um, they really have to be able to shoot the ball. Um, but so someone has to step up and, and, and be that guy that sort of rises above there. Um, but, you know, again, like, you know, if if Stewart does decide, you know, hey, I've been in college long enough, I've got to go do something else. Um, that's still, again, you're, you're losing, you know, for, for all the complaints about how he shot down the stretch, you're losing your best shooter. Uh, and so, uh, like we have to see a situation, you know, Indiana has to see a situ- situation where either a, somebody who hasn't shot it well before gets good. Um, and I think, you know, I think Tamar Bates is the best possibility there. Um, you know, I mean, you started to see him find his stroke toward the end of the year where just in the middle of the year, he couldn't hit anything, um, you know, mid range, long range, whatever, where he had been a guy that throughout his high school career had been a good shooter at all three levels, you know, wasn't really a good shooter at any level um, for a while in the middle of the season. But I, I think he's got the possibility of doing so. 
Um, you know, after that, it's tough. I mean, I, obviously, Leal has had a hard time getting on the floor in general. Um, been okay as far as shooting the ball. That's that's his best asset. Um, but you know, is is he going to be a guy that gets up on the floor enough to go hit fifty or sixty? You know, that's a lot. And then, you know, are you asking CJ Gunn to, you know, step in right away uh, as a true freshman and, and it be a guy that hits at that kind of volume? Um, you know, that that's going to be tough. But also, I think Jalen Hood-Shafino might be a guy, um, you know, presuming again that Xavier Johnson stays. And, and, I, and I think, I think like you said, it probably makes sense for him to test the waters a little bit. But I think what he's going to find um, is that, that you know, I, I don't imagine that, that NBA scouts are going to trust his consistency. And I think he has a chance to prove it uh, at another level. And I think, uh, you know, for, for everybody out of all of the guys that you look at on this team and say, OK, what makes sense for them next? Um, I, I, don't, I think it's the, the most open and shut case that Xavier Johnson uh, could use another year and they could get him across the line. Um, I, I think right now, I think what. Um, he's, he's shown the physical tools. He hasn't shown the consistency. Um, if he can shoot, you know, shoot as well as he did toward the end of this year, make decisions like he did toward the end of this year and still show this, the, the speed, the gear he's got, then that is an NBA point guard. Um, and, you know, again, it, it requires just to be a little bit less wild, a little bit more under control, but, but that's what you saw, uh, in the last eight games from him. So basically I, I think if he can prove come back, go back to Indiana, you know, get another year settled under Mike Woodson's system. And, you know, again, show that he can do the stuff on the pick and roll that he showed toward the end of the year. Uh, then he's a really draftable guy. So then again, I think you, you know, um, Jalen Huchifino finds himself playing a lot more two guard uh, next year than maybe he probably would have expected. Cause I think he wanted to be a point guard. Um, but I think those two coming together could be something. And, and I think it, it, so what I guess I'm ultimately saying is the three ball situation, probably a, a lot comes down to uh, Hood Shafino and Tamar Bates being guys that can step in, start and make those. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I have a little bit more trepidation about, than you about fitting Hood Shafino and Xavier Johnson together. Not that I think either player wouldn't be willing, but I mean, you know, you recruit Jalen Hood Shafino to, you recruit him to put the ball in his hands. And if you watch his film, you understand why. And again, like I, I won't pretend that I've, I've, you know, seen more of him than anyone else in the world. But if, if you watch his film, you understand why. Um, in the same breath, however, Xavier Johnson led this team in percentage of possessions used this season at 28%. That number actually went up to 29.7% in conference play. So it was even higher once Big Ten play began um, than it was overall, um, you know, Shot numbers went up in Big Ten play. Uh, assist numbers went up slightly in Big Ten play. And if you go look at, you know, his history, that has pretty consistently been the case. There's only one year where he has not used at least 28% of possessions when he's been on the floor. And to be clear, he can use some of those possessions to create for others. Like, like it's, it's not like every one of those possessions he uses is a shot for him. But – he still needs a ball in his hands. Um, and again, though, you don't recruit a player like Jalen hood Shafino to not put the ball in his hands. Now, you know, the flip side is if, and we'll talk about the front court in a minute, if, if Indiana's starting front court leaves, then maybe you have to go really small and you have to go really sort of guard dominant. And at that point, 
there are enough possessions to spread around. But I think that from a, you know, from a, a, a backcourt perspective, like there's, you know, get Tamar Bates right again, definitely. Keep Trey Galloway progressing, definitely. You know, see if you can't find more minutes for a player like Anthony Leal who might be able to give you some, you know, some three-point impact, even if maybe you're trading that for, you know, a little bit less ball hand. Like, that, you may be able to afford more Anthony Leal on the floor if you've got – if your other two guys are dom- ball-dominant ball handlers because then you, you don't have to ask Anthony Leal to do any, you know, any on-ball work at all, just run around and hunt shots. Maybe that works better you know, with, with Hood Shafino and Johnson or Hood Shafino and Fennessey or whatever on the floor. Um, but to me, the, the, the big challenge of that backcourt is how do you make sure, not even that you're keeping both of those guys happy, because, again, I think that there's sometimes you use that phrase and, and people just assume they're unhappy. Uh, they can have all the will in the world to want to make it work, but if you're trying to start effectively two point guards together, you know, they can't both have the ball all the time. And I think that is the – that to me is the greatest sort of backcourt challenge of Mike Woodson's offseason, presuming Xavier Johnson doesn't declare or declares and decides to come back. Maybe he declares. Maybe he goes to the combine. Maybe he impresses somebody and, you know, he decides – I mean, like that's – that is always a possibility. Um, but presuming that Xavier Johnson is back for 2023 and, you know, all else – being relatively equal, that's kind of the one big piece, I think, is in that backcourt is how do you fit those two guys together? Because you Johnson is too good and too impactful and too comfortable with an offense that Mike Woodson really kind of made it clear, like it takes a while, you know, to to for me to really feel like I can trust you with my offense as a point guard. You know, Johnson has has proven too much in that in that frame to not be considered a key piece for Indiana going forward, but put Shafino's too good to be just relegated to like, I don't know, a bench role or whatever. That to me is Mike Woodson's biggest backcourt challenge this offseason. Yeah, no, I'd agree. I mean, I just, I, I think it's just possible as much as, yeah, you, you don't recruit him uh, to play him off the ball. I just, I think he's, I think he's capable. I mean, at least he's got the size. He's got some of the, you know, physical tools. And I think he's a guy that, I mean, I, I don't think it, it doesn't hurt him to kind of learn to play off the ball as well as play on the ball. Um, and I, I just like, you can't take Johnson off the ball. Like, I don't think you, you, you can't make Xavier Johnson a two where I think you've got a better chance of making Jalen Hochefino a two for your purposes for this year. If you had to, I, I think, I think it's more doable, but I, I just don't like, you can't play X at anything other than a point guard. He's just not, he's not something else. He's not a guy that you're going to run off screens. Uh, you know, he's not going to guy that's just going to, you're, you're going to send around the perimeter to just find a way to create space for himself without the ball. I don't see it. Um, I, I can see Hood Shafino being that guy. And maybe that's because maybe I haven't watched enough film, um, but he's obviously a bigger guy. He's an athlete and he can shoot the basketball. But again, he's a one primarily. Uh, but I think you can add that to his game if you had to, um, you know, like I, mean, like I saw Carson Edwards was, was a pretty dom- ball dominant guy, but they also sort of taught him to do two guard things um, at Purdue and find ways of, of creating space for himself as well. And but but eventually getting the ball in his hands. Um, and so I, I think there are ways that you could utilize him to make him valuable because uh, I, I mean, I think if you have them both, you got to play them both. And so if, if you're at, like out of the two, I think Hood Shafino has a better chance 
of being a good two guard um, and being able to make some things happen off the ball. Um, where, whereas Johnson, I don't know that if you shift him over that, I don't think it, it necessarily makes sense for him. But again, it's, it's altogether possible that the things could shift. Like you said, it's possible Johnson could go declare and, you know, make some noise. But I mean, right now there's, there's, he's, he's nowhere to be found on a draft board, like nowhere, you know, like he's not even listed. Um, you right. know, it's it's more just the idea that like, you know, there are no absolutes in, in roster building. There aren't. That's true. We should talk about, so we should do, to go back to your front court um, discussion. I think, um, I, I don't think that they can go, go forward without a, without someone that can protect the rim. And so what I'm trying to say about that is if Trace Jackson Davis does decide that this is the year. Um, that, that he's happy enough with his draft projection uh, to go. Um, and if race Thompson goes also just because he's been there for five years and it's time to move on. Uh, I don't think they're going to be able to go forward with Michael Durr being their only real five men. Um, and I don't think that Logan Duncan is close enough to be able to be counted on. So my thought would be that if they, if Jackson Davis leaves, I think they're going to have to clear out enough space to get a five out of the portal. Uh, I, I, I don't like, whereas I, I think Geronimo can step in and be your power forward, not be a problem there. I think you can, you can presuming Miller cop stays for a fifth year. I think you can obviously slide him down to play some stretch for uh, at times, but I think there's going to be, have to be a real five with some athleticism to be able to protect the rim. doesn't necessarily have to be a dominant back to the basket guy, but at least can defend the position. That's my thought on that. Uh, where are you on that? Do you, I mean, like, do you view this? Well, I think you just have to start like just more fundamentally and just look at both of those front court players and just say, what are your plans? And, you know, they're obviously coming at it from different directions. Um, you know, race Thompson, again, like Parker Stewart went through senior night, seemed very emotional, you know, looked like someone who was thinking about life after college but then refused to close that door to us, you know, whenever we would ask him refused to, um, you know, just sort of come out and be like, no, I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm done. Or I'm even, even like, I'm pretty confident I'm done. Like, you know, it, it was very like, never say never. I, I really just don't know yet. It's totally open-ended. Trace Jackson Davis is kind of in a different spot where I think there's kind of this, this, this weird, crossroads of factors between is he just ready to move on from college he did say last spring you know when, when when he came back he said one more year on the other hand nil wasn't on the books then you know is there is there a world where he's earning enough in bloomington to make it worthwhile to stick around and work with a head coach who's got an extensive nba background and can continue to you know continue to kind of help him get better. Is there a world where, you know, the NBA looks at his, his last five, six, seven games and says, that's the best we've seen you play get on in here and let's see. Or is there a world where Indiana looks at his last, last five, six, seven games and says, if you can do that over a whole season with some of that, you know, you, you finally started to mix in some right-hand finishes, like in, in tough situations, not, you know, not, not like he never finished with his right hand, but you finally started to mix in some right hand finishes and in, in genuinely tough situations against good post defenders. You hit a couple jumpers. If you do that for a whole season, then we don't see you as a two way guy. We see you as a fringe first rounder because you've got the, you've got the rim protecting ability. You're very bouncy. You know, you're very, I mean, like he's, he's, 
it's a low key thing, but like Trace Jackson Davis is really good at going down and getting back up again, which is like one of those things that I think fans don't think about a lot, but it's, it's really important at the NBA level is being able to just jump fast essentially so that you're constantly either in the air contesting a shot or a rebound or whatever. Um, it's harder to know where Jackson Davis is. I think they're going to have to wait on that um, a little bit. They are being linked to some bigs in the portal. I think Peyton Sparks, the Ball State freshman, who averaged something like 13 and a half and eight or somewhere around there, um, I think has, has reportedly heard from Indiana in, in a pretty substantive way. So it's possible Indiana knows something, you know, that, that about one or both of these guys that the rest of the world doesn't. Um, I mean, I think you can, to be very fair, a lot of Trace Jackson Davis, a lot of what we would perceive at least statistically as Trace Jackson Davis's rim protection was, was not one-on-one. It was backside blocks. It was trailer blocks. It was stuff in transition. It was, you know, coming over to help once the man commits to the post move. Um, I think you can teach Jordan Geronimo to do that. Cause the other thing is like Jordan Geronimo to me, I think he's still got an incredibly high ceiling. I think he's a really good player in the immediate term. He is a four. He's not a three. Um, and until, until he kind of can prove a level of ability to defend true wings. And he saw plenty of them this year, the big 10 was stacked with them and it won't be next year, at least in all likelihood, it won't be Keegan Murray, Johnny Davis, Jaden Ivy, Caleb Houston. You know, we can, safely assume a lot of these guys, if not all of them, are going to head to the NBA draft. But one way or the other, we saw a lot of Jordan Geronimo against threes this year. I think enough to know that for the moment, anyway, he is a four. And if you play him as a small ball four, I think he can serve that sort of backside rim protection job for you. I think the bigger issue you have is I just don't think I mean, I just don't think there's enough offensive game in Michael Durr. And I think I think Michael Durr can be a really solid backup for you. And I also think that more broadly, Indiana does need to get to a place where it's comfortable playing, uh, you know, a certain way on offense that isn't just so reliant on post touches because that can slow your offense down so much. And it can allow a defense to crowd certain parts of your offense so easily. Um, you need perimeter scorers for that. And that's something Indiana has got to work on through the off season. But nevertheless, I think Indiana would be well served if you didn't feel like 95% of offensive possessions that didn't end in a transition opportunity needed to, needed to go through a post up to work. Um, but you still need more offensive skill than I think Dirk can provide against big 10 level defense. And so I do think if you're if you're Indiana and you know one of those guys, certainly Trace Jackson Davis, but possibly even Race Thompson is leaving, then I think you need to to be ready to explore portal options. If you know both are leaving, then you are going to have to take someone out of the portal. And I think that that's you know I don't like I don't like presuming I don't like speculating too much on transfers, um, but. If we assume, for example, that Parker Stewart is moving on, again, he went through senior night. He sounded like a man ready to move on with his career, with his life, whatever. Um, you know, that's only – that's one of three spots you need open for your incoming freshman class. There's always going to be at least a couple guys that examine other future options. The other 
this, you know, the other piece to this discussion that's that's really hard to peg is Logan Duncan because you know he obviously came with some good pedigree out of high school. He's got some good skills, but Mike Woodson clearly just was not ready to trust him in Big Ten games. He didn't even play him in the Northwestern game when he played a six man bench uh, that could have been a seven man bench, and and Woodson opted to leave Duncan on the you know on his bench the entire game. My point is, I don't think Indiana is going to have a lot of trouble just on the law of large numbers at getting to three without, for example, Trace Jackson Davis leaving. But if Trace Jackson Davis does leave, then I think that's where you've got to hit the portal. And I don't think it's so much about rim defense as I think it is about front court offense and just like losing such a ball. Again, you know, basically at the level of Xavier Johnson, such a ball dominant player. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's all of the above. I mean, probably I probably overstated the rim protection piece to it to, there, too. But yeah, I mean, like um, you, you don't want to post up as much, but you still need to be able to post up. And again, like you said, Michael, there's not doing much for you out of a post up. He didn't really, you know, and but but also like if, if you want that pick and roll to be um, to be effective, especially the way Xavier Johnson's running it, um, you need a threat on the slip. And I don't think Michael Dorr really is one. Um, at least that much of one. I mean, obviously he can, you know, run forward, you know, as, as, as it was just sort of just the basic thing that you have to do on that. Um, but you're not really, you know, concerned about him getting up for a lob or anything like that. I mean, he's tall enough, but I mean, it's not like he's got a lot of bounce there. Um, but I mean, they, I, I guess my bottom line is they, they just need an, a, a, need a better athlete there. Um, and, and on, on both sides from a rim protection standpoint. And, you know, I mean, like door could defend a certain type of big player door could defend somebody with which he had to, you know, somebody he had to, you know, bang with. Um, but you know, you really, when someone had really good moves, it was really slick. You, you saw that Dur had a hard time keeping up with that. And part of that I'm sure is, you know, I, I guess injury to some level, cause he was obviously dealing with knee and I don't think he was, um, yeah, he, he might've been better, but he wasn't necessarily a hundred percent. Um, so, but the bottom line is there's just not there enough in, you're not getting enough from Michael Dorado the five. Um, and obviously, as you mentioned, I mean, Logan Duncan wasn't really a part of the discussion, um, this year at all. Obviously, you know, Mike Woodson was not, uh, did not trust him in the least, um, as you mentioned to the point where he had, you know, so few, few bodies against Northwestern and Logan Duncan barely got in the game. Um, you know, that just tells you he has not seen enough uh, at all, um, basically out of Logan Duncan. So, you know, I, I guess just the bottom line is I think it's just fair to say um, they don't trust their other options at the five. And if Trace Jackson Davis is gone, I don't know that they'll be, I mean, I, I think it's, you know, it's almost too obvious for us to even point it out. They're going to go get somebody out of the portal if Jackson Davis leaves. Yeah, I just I don't I mean, I don't I don't see how you have any other option. And, and there's a very good chance, too, that, that Indiana knows, you know, has that I mean, I would say it's likely at this point, Indiana has a much better idea of Trace Jackson Davis's intentions, you know, than than whatever is sort of being floated around publicly in, in terms of. um you know, in terms of like, is he going to declare? What's he going to do? How's he going to, you know, just how is he going to approach a lot of this? Uh, a lot of the next few weeks, I would be very surprised if he does not at least declare. I mean, like it, it, at this point, it's, it's easy to forget. Like he literally never has like Jackson Davis has, has genuinely never, uh, never even tried the, the the draft and part of that is because he couldn't yeah like COVID in 2020 that 
that process, but, but he could have last year. I mean, like he, there would have been really no penalty at all for him to last year. He could have even done it with the intention of, of coming back, you know, and, and being um, with the intention of being, you know, still bought in and I don't know, whatever, whatever other phrase you want to use. I mean, we can, we can go, we can go crazy there, but you get, you get what I'm trying to say. Um, I would be shocked if he doesn't at least enter the draft. Um, you know, I, I guess I wouldn't be surprised if he leaves the door open to a return, but I also wouldn't be surprised if he's, if he's one of these players that just sort of says, Hey, it's been three really good years in college. I've, I've, I've learned a lot. I've, I've earned a lot and I'm just ready to start my professional career. And I don't think anybody at Indiana should begrudge him that. I certainly don't think Mike Woodson would or anyone at staff, but I'm talking more about fans. Like I think, you know, wherever Trace Jackson Davis is in his journey at this point, I don't think anyone should begrudge him. You know, three years is, is in the modern context is a, a, a pretty substantial career for a player of, of Trace Jackson Davis's accomplishment. If he goes, yeah, Indiana really needs some help in the post. I think Caleb Banks has the potential to be a really good player in time. He's also a four. He's not a five. Um, and I think he'll need some time to develop. You need somebody you can plug in at that five spot. And, and, I, and like you, I just – I think Michael Durr can continue to be a solid reserve for this team, but I don't see a world where Durr is a, a, a high usage or even just high minutes starting five on a competitive Big Ten team. Yeah, agreed. I mean, I would go back to the point that I, I – this is the first year the calendar is normal for Jackson Davis. Uh, you know, even, even – um, I mean, he could have been bought in last year, but I, I, I'm trying to remember what the state of affairs was. I mean, we were, you know, you, you, you know, it was March, April. I mean, like we were just starting vaccinations um, at that point. And obviously the, the NBA season, you know, went deep into July um, where this this year, the calendar is back to what it usually is. I mean, the finals are going to be the same, you know, are, are where they usually are. The draft is where it usually is. Um, so this is the first time in his career that it's like that, that, that there is a, um, that that he can enter and not, you know, and and play the entire process out and not really mess up Mike Wilson's plans, um, and and not you know so whereas last year I think it, you know they wanted they they needed buy in they needed to not have him drifting the portal was too wild uh, basically for them not to have a real sense of of whether he was going to stay or go, um, you know it, it would have been at least I think another month than it usually would be before you got. Um, the answers. I'm trying to think when everybody sort of redeclared back, you know, like Hunter Dickinson deciding that he was going to stay. Um, some of those guys, I, mean, I, I still don't think you had the full range um, of opportunities, but also the ability to sort of pack those opportunities into a reasonable time frame for, you know, your coach to know what he's looking for um, and what he's going to need. And this year, I think he, this is the first year in Jackson Davis's career that he can do this without it, you know, messing something up again. I, I don't even know if there was, was there even a combine in 2020? I mean, I can't even remember. Um, you know, so like, you know, it, it's, it, this is the first, this is the beginning of normalcy. And, and I think again, you know, as, as we've sort of gone over a bunch of times, we're, you know, we don't know ultimately how everybody will sort of value the ups and downs of Jackson Davis's game, you know, the, the good points, the bad points, um, you know, how those all sort of shake out. And so I think Jackson Davis needs to see that. And I think, um, I, I think he'd be foolish not to go find out, okay, you know, this is obviously what I'm good at. Is that good enough for what you haven't seen uh, to overcome those things? And so it's like, I think he needs to be in, you know, basically in the 
face-to-face presence of talent evaluators, of general managers, of coaches, of all those sorts of things to find out, okay, where am I really? What's another year going to do for me? Um, you know, and, and what does that actually mean? I mean, again, I guess we've heard for three years about him getting more perimeter opportunities, uh, whether it was from Archie Miller or from Mike Woodson. Um, and even Mike Woodson, who said definitively, if he doesn't shoot those shots, he's going to get benched. Well, he didn't shoot those shots for the most part, and he didn't get benched. Um, so, you know, does he ultimately need a, a G League opportunity to go take some jump shots when it doesn't matter? Uh, you know, when, when he doesn't have to you know, go play somewhere where he doesn't have to care about winning every single game um, to actually take some of those shots and, and not feel like he's hurting his team in, in critical games. Um, you know, so I think that's part of the question is going to, you know, it's going to be had to be answered, but yeah. And, and, you know, I guess to your point, I'm interested, um, I'm interested in seeing where Banks shows up. I mean, you, you obviously got to go down to Atlanta to actually watch him. I mean, he's still, you know, his film makes him look like a three where it, in, in ways the Jordan Geronimo does not, um, he could be, you know, he, he could be a three. I, I just, I don't, first of all, I don't think Mike Woodson would want to play that big immediately i don't think he would want to rely on caleb banks to be so ready that he could play again i don't think geronimo can play as a three right now and the job of a big 10 three is going to get a little bit easier this offseason because a lot of those guys are going to leave like there wasn't an unusual level of wing talent in this league this year and there's a big difference between for jordan geronimo between guarding like Mason Gillis and guarding Jaden Ivy. Gillis is a really nice player, but he's not, you know, it, it, it there were there were more Jaden Ivies in the league this year than than there normally are, you know, if if um you know kind of the average Big Ten season. So the job of a three defensively in the Big Ten is probably gonna get a little easier next year. You still have the you know, Chris Murray, uh, you, weirdly, you have multiple twins, Chris Murray, Jordan Davis. There's always the possibility one of those guys doesn't go. You know, a guy like maybe Caleb Houston goes in, finds out his stock's not as good as he thinks it is, finds out coming back for a sophomore season could really explode his his, his draft stock. Um, I just don't – I don't see a world where when you already know Jordan Geronimo's got to make some progress there, unless Banks is just a lot further along than I think he is, and that's possible. I'm, I'm not going to claim to be the, the smartest guy in the world when it comes to talent evaluation. Um, I just don't know how ready Mike Woods is going to be for that, especially when he's going to have options in that backcourt. He's going to have Trey Galloway, who can play the three. He's going to have Jalen Hichafino, who won't play the three on offense, but probably could defend some threes on defense based on where his frame and his and his wingspan are. Again, I think offensively, he's not a three. He wouldn't want to be a three, frankly. Um, but defensively, I think he could guard a three. I, I just I, – it feels to me more like it's more likely, especially if this team is hunting for three-point shooting, that unless – again, maybe Banks is is more ready to contribute in that area than I think. And I'm not trying to demean him. I mean, I think he's going to be – I think he has the potential to be a really, really good player in time, like an all-league-level player. I just think it may take a couple of years. You know, the same way it did the comparison I used with Juwan Morgan, maybe not perfectly in, in terms of skill set, but in terms of being kind of this, you know, this versatile – hybrid stretch four that you know is is only beginning to really understand the the full range of his gifts and and his abilities and guys like that usually need a little time they need a little time to get in build confidence build strength build their bodies etc um 
I just I, I don't I don't see Banks being a guy that like is giving Indiana enough quality minutes next winter that Mike Woodson is comfortable rolling, you know, like building whole lineups around him, essentially. Maybe I'm wrong, but I just don't see that right now. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I mean, I think uh, as far as Geronimo is concerned at the four, um, it, the, the defense, I think, is an issue. But I like when he was asked about, um, you know, how he felt at the three, um, especially after the Northwestern game where he got thrown in that there for some minutes. You know, he mentioned offense first, and I still think that's the issue. As much as he can shoot that position, I don't think he can handle ball handle at that position. I mean, it does still, regardless of um, – who's in the league at the time, um, the, the three, the three has become a ball handling position. It has become a guard position. I mean, you are, it, you are more of a two, uh, you know, like if, if you see it sort of in the spectrum between a two and a four, you are more of a two than you are a four, uh, at the three of this position, you are, you are mostly, um, you know, perimeter oriented. That's where your offense initiates. You're getting involved in sort of dribble weave stuff. You're more likely to have a screen set for you than to be setting a screen. Um, you know, basically the position of three just requires more perimeter skill. Um, and while Jordan Drama can shoot the ball, I guess you just haven't seen the ball handling, the turnover numbers to assist are way too high. Um, at this point, I just don't see him being able to really handle that position. He even said, you know, I don't know that I could maneuver as a guard. He says that that's one thing that really, um, that, that I really noticed while playing at the three with, with Thompson and, and Jackson Davis being inside and, and having to be out there. So we're not all posting up, um, that, that I think is where he sees the biggest difference between where he is, uh, and where he needs to go at that position if he's going to play it. So I still think, I mean, it's altogether possible, you know, the kid just has massive amounts of, of athletic talent, um, but I think that's the biggest difference between him and a three right now is it, it, I, I, he still gets crossed up um, when he gets out on the perimeter. And, and if someone can really break him down off the bounce, I mean, you can see him go one way where he needs to go the other. Um, and he's got some speed to be able to recover. But a lot of times he gets himself in bad positions trying to leap one way and end up having to go the other. And someone's already passed him. Um, you know, that's kind of the issue there. And again, he's fast enough, got the leaping ability to recover. But um, sometimes if a guy can really get going downhill, that he doesn't have time to make that recovery. Um, so that I think is the big, biggest difference between him and a three right now. So I'm, I'm interested to see what, what Banks looks like in that regard, um, you know, because, but obviously, you know, what you saw in film from Geronimo isn't, it's not always going to be the same once you see them against big 10 bodies, uh, against big 10 speed, um, you know, against sort of what you see at the college level compared to what, you know, what they can do at the high school level where they could be wrong and end up being right uh, a lot more of the time. All right. There's chaos going on behind me. So I'm going to cut this short. Forgive me. I'm not sure what's going on in my house, but um, we'll do more of this. We will obviously spoke out more as the off season unfolds. And, and frankly, um, you know, I think there will be, and, and I'm not foreshadowing anything. I know I just, this is the way college basketball works. There will be more to talk about in terms of roster churn and where things fit and what guys want to add, et cetera. Um, so stay tuned to, to mind your banners. Forgive me for the abrupt ending, but there's just children crying all around me. And so I need to go make sure that the house isn't burning down. For Dustin DeBerek, I'm Zach Osterman. Thank you so much for listening. We will talk to you soon.